This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. And a great bit hello to everyone and welcome to Make Your Pitch. We have uh, so many talented people that come and join us here on Make Your Pitch. And I appreciate our audience for staying with us and checking in. Uh, always remember to uh, subscribe and check that box so that you come back every time we have a new podcast, which is every Thursday. Uh, we will have a new podcast up for you to enjoy. It includes uh, both the uh, founders for startup businesses, uh, investors, so you get a little idea of what it's like to behind the scenes for the investor community, and also experts that have a great deal of knowledge about uh, specifics in business and how you should handle your business. We are happy to bring this all to you, and we have now for more than 50 episodes, which uh, I have done all in conjunction with my co-host. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am co-host Ellen J. Harris. And she is actually on her toes today. I know she's on her toes and has her gloves on, probably because it's cold in New York today. Uh, so, Ellen, why don't you tell us a little bit about our special guest here today? Happy to. Today, we welcome Chuck Gershman. He's an entrepreneur and company co-founder with multiple successful exits, a strategic thinker providing vision and operational excellence. He is experienced in identifying technology and market trends, developing strategic plans and product roadmaps, cultivating relationships with customers, partners, and key suppliers, and leading global teams. As a technological marketer, he specified, introduced, and evangelized numerous semiconductor and systems products that serviced cloud data center, enterprise, IoT, security, networking, telecom, health IT, and HPC markets. He's been awarded three U.S. patents for microprocessor architecture applied to networking. He is a top-line growth revenue contributor, respected high-energy motivational leader, communicator, educator, and team builder who has instantiated, grown, and managed technology teams on a regional, national, and global basis. Whew! <laughs> uh, seems like we have both an expert and a f uh, founder on today, isn't it? <laughs> that's really, that's really. Yes, we do. And I, I told uh, 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 Chuck before we got on, and of course we haven't even said his name right, right? So, what is our guest's name, Ellen? Oh, um, Chuck. 
Gershman. Thank you. All right. Is that right? I, I was talking with Chuck before we started, and I said, you know, I, I know this is not your first rodeo, and through your bio there, it is obviously not only is not his first rodeo, he has been around the circuit. So we might have, want to have him back just as an expert, much less him talking about what he has going on and uh, wants to show to our investors. So, Chuck, the ball is in your court. Just uh, roll on, my friend. Well, well, thank you. That was uh, quite an introduction. Thank you, Alan. I pre appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so a little bit, I don't know how much more I can tell you about myself. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty uh, comprehensive. Uh, but yes, I am actually, uh, I guess what I can add to that is I actually am a trained engineer, uh, uh, electrical engineering, computer engineering. I've had a, a quite a storied career over many, many decades, as Ellen had just uh, elaborated. And I guess the one thing I would add is that in addition to the markets that she mentioned there, uh, the last uh, last uh, roughly five years have been very, very focused, actually last eight years, been very focused on sensor-based technologies uh, and specifically automotive-based technologies. And so uh, that's uh, kind of the uh, basis for our conversation going forward here today. So with that, I'll say, uh, what, um, talk, let uh, Christopher uh, uh, kick it off here. Well, at, uh, at this stage of the ball game, I want to hear all about you and this new concept that you have uh, developed and have uh, actually put into use in many, uh, many, many areas. So tell us all about that and just the, let it rock, my friend. Let her go. So a little bit about the genesis of uh, what we're working on. So uh, I am a, the co-founder and CEO of a company called Al Autonomous Imaging, or Al AI. Um, my co-partner is Gene Patilli. Uh, Gene also has a storied career with um, uh, over three decades. He spent 18 years at Kodak uh, in their advanced development uh, labs. Uh, he was part of the team that actually created the um, first commercially available digital cameras. And he's been building sensor systems for uh, three decades. Uh, Gene and our engineering team together have actually sensor systems on satellites in outer space. Uh, we've developed um, custom sensor systems for uh, defense applications, uh, for automotive applications and medical applications. Um, roughly five, six years ago, we did a project for the U.S. Air Force, and that was a proof of concept. And the we were the only company to deliver to the proof of concept, which was a very, very complex thermal camera system, multispectral. And we filed a whole series of patents around what we had done, which under this particular type of contract was acceptable to the government. And we retained the intellectual property set. Uh, from there, I looked at that property set and was challenged by Gene and a few others to see whether there was commercial dual use application for the technology numerous um, advanced sensor conferences. And while I was there, I noticed that there was a small subset of sensor providers talking about this technology called LIDAR, um, which is a laser-based technology, a bit different than what we were working on. But it was the application of the LIDAR that intrigued me. They were applying this LIDAR, which is traditionally used as a, a geological mapping technology, and they were reapplying it to automotive systems for 
uh, semi-autonomous and autonomous vehicles. At least that was the concept at the time about five, six years ago. So I did some digging on why they were doing this and what the value proposition was and quickly came to realize that there was a whole new emerging sensor market in the ability to drive basically a combination of safety systems or improved safety systems in automobiles with the long-term goal of, of achieving um, autonomy within automobiles. So I went back to uh, Gene, uh, the, uh, who had originated the technology, and I challenged him as to whether or not our technology was applicable. Um, it seemed conceptually applicable. And Gene went off and about six months later called me back and said, I've got a conceptual design that I think is superior to what these LiDAR folks are doing at significantly potentially less cost. And we can achieve higher performance from a, from a perception perspective um, and meet a, a number of other uh, criteria. Uh, with that, uh, we were very intrigued, uh, showed it to uh, some other folks. And we went through a process uh, that we learned from a gentleman named Steve Blank uh, out of Berkeley and Stanford. And Steve is a professor that talks about how to take early technology to market and validate its, uh, its uh, well, just validate it. So we went and picked, uh, went to Detroit and talked to some executives. Uh, we went to Silicon Valley and San Francisco and talked to some pure automotive uh, autonomy folks. Um, and we went and talked to, to uh, one company, NVIDIA, which is a leader in, the, in automotive perception. And we kind of socialized our ideas. And we began to gather, gather feedback as to the viability. And uh, we, got, we had overwhelming, encouraging success that uh, I think one quote was, actually, you could disrupt on. And that came from one of the advanced robo-taxi companies. So with that, we founded a company. Uh, we incorporated. Uh, we began to refine a business plan for the next six months. At the end of a six-month and we, we continued to talk to uh, potential users to refine our ideas. And at the end of six months, we opened up our doors. We hired an engineering team. Uh, we took some initial uh, uh, some seed financing, a limited amount, and we began in earnest. And that's how we got started. Well, the, the name of your company, Owl. Uh, what does what does it mean, Owl? Well, uh, the systems that we developed. Uh, so one of the shortcomings of the perception systems that we found in those early days was that it's really difficult to. Um, so visual cameras are the ultimate sensor system. And automobile systems um, were designed for visual driving. Um, uh, we, we humans have two eyes, uh, which allow us to guesstimate distance or depth, and they allow us to absorb information from the environment. And that's pretty much how the road system has been developed. So visual cameras were the original sensor source, um, but they're, um, they're only 2D capability. So the sensor company, uh, so the automotive companies have supplemented visual sensors with uh, with radar systems, which produce depth information and they fuse that information together. One of the major shortcomings that we discovered um, all those years ago was that just like humans struggle um, see quite well during the day, but we began to we begin to struggle, uh, you know, in shadows and specifically in darkness. 
and we're limited in our driving ability by the headlights. Um, and we really struggle in rain, snow, and fog. So all those conditions that make it difficult for a human to drive um, are actually exacerbated in the sensor world. They're actually worse. So the question was, um, can we build sensor systems that supplement those problem cases? And through the use of our thermal imaging, thermal imaging does not know the difference between night and day. Um, it's a camera that produces a image, a video image, um, that's the same whether it's at night or during the day. It doesn't rely on light photons. It, rely, it relies on an, an energy type photon that's emitted from the object. So it's still photon-based physics. It's just not a, in the light wavelength. So the images are the same night or day. In addition, the wavelength that we sense is longer than a visual wavelength. As such, it's less encumbered or attenuated by things in the atmosphere like snow, rain, smoke, or fog. So it's not to say that there isn't some attenuation based on those atmospheric effects there are, but the, um, but the, the degree of attenuation is orders of magnitude less than the amount of attenuation that you see from visual light, which you're trying to sense. So therefore, we see in smoke-filled environments, we see in rain and we see in snow. So the sensor system that we're proposing dramatically enhances the range of operation of traditional cameras that are being used on these automobiles. So we're not saying that you take the traditional camera off the automobile, we're just saying you supplement it with an additional sensor that has a much broader environmental range of operation. We then implemented computer vision technologies to take these 2D images and produce 3D content which is similar to what a LiDAR does, which is basically a 3D content um, capability or what radar does, which is a pure uh, depth uh, type of measurement. So in a single thermal camera, we produce this extremely broad response across um, a, large, lar a much larger range of environmental condition, night or day than a visual camera. And we produce this thing there's a little geeky here called a 3D point cloud. Basically, a 3D point cloud is, a, in a simplest way to describe it, is if you took a 2D image and you looked at all the pixels in the image, they would be on a plane, and they'd all be right next to each other. Well, a 3D point cloud is said if you expanded that plane into the X direction or you exploded the points oh, okay. into space such that if you collapsed them all, you'd still have the same image, but in the exploded image, the, the, the pixels float in space. And right. if you can measure the distance to every pixel floating in space, you now have not only the 2D representation, but you have what's called the 3D representation. And that's what we did through computer vision techniques. We took this 2D um, high resolution thermal broad, um, broad range image and exploded it into 3D space. And we capture a data point for every pixel which is the value of the pixel or the image and where that pixel resides in 3D space. Fascinating. And then we can go into how that would be applied. You know, and we could take it up a couple of levels and talk about exactly why that would be valuable. So if you'd like me to do that, well, so why do we <laughs> want to do that? Okay. So, of, course, of course we want you to do that. Go ahead. Right? Of course we want to know why we want to explode images into 3D, into 3D measure. Let me give you a simple case. So today, 
you can go down to the um, to the automotive park where all the new cars and trucks are. And if you buy, um, a, you know, a mid, uh, if you buy a high-end vehicle unequivocally, even even a um, uh, even some of the mid-sized price vehicles, you'll get something called a you'll get a safety package that comes with the car. Um, in industry jargon, they refer to that as ADAS, A-D-A-S, or Automated um, Decision uh, um, uh, Safety Support Systems. And um, some of the simple ones that you get are lane assist, and um, uh, so we know uh, we've seen that. You get uh, some, you get uh, notifications on your mirrors for uh, blind spot awareness. And you also can get, uh, um, and the more recent systems also provide alerts as to objects that are in, that are in front of you that you might uh, intercept. And that will alert you, or in some cases, it'll actually break the car for you automatically so that you don't run into this, um, uh, to the objects uh, in front of you. So if a car in front of you breaks suddenly, your car will break without hitting it. That's referred to as an automatic braking system. And that's becoming more and more commonplace. And most of the newer vehicles now offer this system as standard equipment. That's goodness. That's great news. The bad news is that these systems are less reliable when it comes to objects other than cars and trucks, specifically mm. pedestrians, bicyclists, or motorcycles. Um, of the one point. Uh, the World Health Organization estimates that 1.3 million people are killed on the roads every year. Not, and the, the, um, roughly half of the people that are killed are either a bicyclist, a pedestrian, or a motorcyclist. They are not in the vehicle. Wow. They are outside the vehicle. But these automatic braking systems um, are challenged to see these smaller objects and measure them. Now, some recent testing has shown that some of these systems actually are beginning to work on these smaller objects. That's the good news. The bad news is that the testing has demonstrated also that nearly that basically 100% of the time, these systems fail at night. So they never successfully identify and locate the object at night in time to make a timely decision to stop. And let me back up a second. I said to detect and locate. Right. So the two, two things that the sensor system unequivocally has to give to the computer to make a decision is that there is an object there, what that object is, detection, identification, and location. Where is the object in proximity to the vehicle? If I don't know where it is, I can't make a, a braking decision because my decisions for braking aren't simply to brake. My, my decisions for braking are simply to slow down, to slow, and slow down is a variable. How much, um, how, how hard do I pump the brakes to slow down? Or is it an unequivocal that I'm going to hit that object and I must um, apply the brakes full force? So those decisions all can be made by the computer. And, and calculated instantaneously. But the computer must be given sensor information to make that, um, that decision. That's where we come in. We see pedestrians, we see bicyclists, we see motorcycles, 
We see animals. We see small animals. We see big animals. We see just about anything that there, that's out there to be seen. We see it night or day in foul weather, and we locate it. We give the computer not only the detection or identification, the what it is, we give the computer the where it is. And we do this instantaneously. That's the value proposition of what we do. Well, at this point and, in time, I, I happen to know that you have uh, done some real-life testing on this. You want to tell us a little about the testing that you've done so far? Yeah, well, when it comes to perception systems, I don't think uh, testing ever really ends. Um, but so far, so we've gone out and we've tested, um, first we've tested the 2D imaging. So the ability of, uh, of our thermal cameras to detect, right, and identify um, these objects. So today we can identify cars, we can identify pedestrians. We are now training our systems for large animals, specifically deer, um, and then in, in, and soon other larger animals. Um, um, in, in India, you need to train for cows. Seems to be a commonplace occurrence. Um, and, um, you know, in, in, in the north, in the great north, you have to train for moose. But quite, quite frankly, training for these larger animals, once you can train for one, you can train for multiples. And we don't really need to know the species. We just need to know that it's a large animal and we need to avoid it. So we've taught our systems through our computer vision techniques, which is an artificial intelligence-based system, to identify and recognize these types of objects. And we've been able to, to test that and verify that. The next thing is we have to measure our ability to locate these objects uh, in that 3D point cloud that I described earlier. So, um, so we do all kinds of different types of testing there. And the way to test for that is to create, put objects into 3D space, um, measure them at known distances um, so that we already know what the distance is and we keep that to the side. Then we use the imaging system and our, and our, um, our thermal imaging system, which we call 3D ranging, and we look at the values that our system uh, produces for those objects, and we compare and contrast it to the known good items. So the simplest, um, simplest test uh, for you to just visualize is we go out into a parking lot. Uh, we've actually developed a robot that we mount our cameras on so we can, uh, we can move the cameras so they're not completely stationary. But you, the first test, you start with a stationary camera on a tripod, um, our thermal imager. Put cones at very um, um, traffic cones, so the orange traffic cones, put them uh, out into uh, the parking lot. Take a high precision uh, single point laser pointer and measure the distance uh, from the light bar that, that holds the camera to each of the cones. Write, write that value down, then image it with the camera and compare the values. So that's this, the simplest first pass test. And then we continue to um, enhance the system until those numbers become nearly identical, which is what we've done. Um, so that's how we've gotten to the first pass of tests. Now, we've also taken other objects like, like people or vehicles or bicycles and so forth and replaced the cone with a person or replaced the cone with a bicycle, such that we test that the system still gets the same uh, distance measurement, et cetera. So that's all. That's the first step. Our next set of testing that we're now just undertaking is that we've, we are working with a third-party automotive test house where we mount our sensors onto an exi uh, existing um, automated uh, vehicle 
that's equipped with the following capabilities. It has lots of different sensors other than our own. It has its own computerized decision-making system, so it has this large um, computer system built into the car, and the computer is connected to the braking system of the car such that they can do something called um, actuate uh, uh, to the actuators of the braking system. So we mount the cameras on, um, and then we run the test with just our cameras. Uh, we put objects, uh, dummy objects, not, not humans, but objects that represent humans um, uh, into the field of view, and we see if the car stops. And we measure when the car, you know, we get the data, we measure when the car identified it or when the sensor system identified it, uh, how long it took to react, et cetera, what the braking distance was. Uh, then you vary the test a little bit where you move the objects and you put them in motion so that they're not directly in front of the car, but they're coming from the sides. So you emulate, um, you know, children running from between parked cars and so forth. Um, yeah. And the next test is you actually take parked cars, put them on the side of the road, and again, slide the uh, objects of interest from between the parked cars in front of the car as you're driving it at different speeds. And you do this at different uh, road speeds from, you know, 20, 25, up to 40, 45 miles an hour uh, to emulate what you would see in a, in a suburban neighborhood. And you can go fa and then you can take them to test tracks and go even faster. So that's the mm -hmm. next set of testing that we're doing. We're also doing a series of off-road tests. So everything I just described to you is on flat payment. We're also, um, we have a contract with the U.S. Army specifically to use our technology on off-road vehicles. So we are also putting our, our cameras on vehicles that um, can drive on, not on flat pavement, but off-road in varying terrain. And that presents some additional problems that we have to test for, which is not only the objects in 3D space that we care about, but the actual, we have to actually measure the terrain to see whether the terrain itself is actually passable or even the angle of the terrain is passable. The car won't, you know, it's not too steep. It's not, the car won't flip or the vehicle won't flip, et cetera. So that's another set of testing that we're ongoing right now. And with that, um, so that gives you an idea of what we're doing from a test perspective. Well, I found, uh, of course, your, uh, your story that you told, uh, told me earlier about the deer was quite interesting. You want to retell that story? Sure. Um, so I'm not sure how much your audience is, um, uh, is aware of the concept of artificial intelligence, but um, the way artificial intelligence works is that think of it as a small child. So um, the rate of learning of, of children is quite significant, but they learn through experience. So when you have an artificial intelligence uh, system, you have to train it or teach it. So you have to give it experiences that you wish it to learn. So one of the major value propositions of thermal cameras is that living objects basically pop in the scene. And what I mean by that is if you think of um, contrast, living objects have significant contrast in thermal. So they're easily identifiable in the scene, night or day in, a lot, in, in, in any kind of um, environmental weather condition. So we go out to find animals uh, in their environment. It would be visible to our owners because of this phenomenon. But we have to get the images of the animals in order to train our artificial intelligence to act to the animals automatically they are. 
So we specifically went out searching for deer a couple of weeks ago. That it's a had two vehicle visual camera visual camera rangers. Our, we had a monitor. Uh, we had a, one of our engineers was driving. The other engineer was looking at the monitor, monitoring both the visual scene as well as the thermal scene. And we did this at night. And we were driving through a neighborhood. Um, they were driving through a neighborhood knowing that there was a part of um, um, out in the suburbs, out in, in the country. They knew a place where deer had, uh, had been spotted. So they were driving to that spot. On their way there, um, they had the low beams on like normal and driving. And our engineer with the computer monitor actually saw deer that they didn't expect to see. And one of the deer was in the middle of the road and the car was not slowing down. Screaming at the other end so the driver, slow down, slow down, there's a deer in the road. The driver never saw the deer. Oh. They slowed down and they eventually, the deer eventually ran off to the side and there were actually three deer. They were completely visible to the thermal camera and completely, and it was quite clear, I can, sh we can show, share with you the videos, that there were three deer in the, in the trajectory of this vehicle. The driver never saw it. The visual cameras, which we had also created video for, never saw the deer. So that's, that. you know, so there we were out just collecting data for uh, training purposes and the camera actually uh, ensured that we actually didn't run into a deer while we were trying to capture video of deer. <laughs> so, <laughs> <a good> thing. <laughs> that, that was fortunate. Yes, very fortunate. Absolutely. Good thing. I didn't do a deer while they were out looking for deer. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, you, you must have uh, already been in touch with and uh, maybe you're even in collaboration with some major auto manufacturers what's uh, can you tell us what's happening in that area um sure so um i'm not going to name names um for nda purposes but um so we've already shipped some early um pilot systems to uh, a major um you know nameplate oem someone who you see advertised on tv or at the auto mall all the time uh, we've also provided pilot systems to what's called a tier one automotive. So in the automotive marketplace, which actually build the car, but the part manufacturer, Continental or Bosch or Magna, so, uh, so that um, whole value chain represents our customer base, whether we sell systems to the very end user or we sell systems to the subsystem manufacturer who then sells to the, um, to the, to, to the OEM. And we have pilots in both levels um, of, that, uh, of that value chain. Uh, in the case of safety systems and perception systems, there's an added third level company now, which is more of a pure perception companies. Um, so the most commonly known are the, the two largest to date. Um, these are technology companies. There's a company called Mobileye, 
um, that does a lot of this work, and and NVIDIA, who's um, um, most of your uh, viewers and listeners may be aware of. So they build automotive perception systems where they predominantly provide compute software and they bring together the sensor systems that they buy, that they acquire from third parties. So today we're working with all three and um, all three levels of that, uh, of that hierarchy there. Um, and that's to help us, uh, one, that, that, that is our ultimate um, revenue stream and our ultimate customers, but this is to help us refine the solution so that it serves those that, that constituency appropriately. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, we have um, systems already, uh, we also have pilot systems that we're developing, as I had mentioned earlier, for the US Army uh, for off-road off vehicle applications as well. And we will also be doing trials uh, shortly with off-road industrial equipment vehicles um, for like backhoes and mining equipment and things of this nature. So that makes up most of the mobility applications that we service. Hmm. That's a key word you just used, uh, mobility systems. Mm -hmm. uh, couple that with the AI, uh, you are really inventing, uh, taking what exists and inventing something completely new. Um, this must be very uh, fascinating for you, an interesting way to develop the technology. Personally, what do you think about this? Let's pause for a moment so we can hear from our sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. It keeps us focused on what makes Make Your Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using CRM Engine, go to the show notes of this episode. Well, that's a great question because... Um, it's always nice to have a purpose. And what we discovered very, very early on was the social value of what we could bring to market and the value proposition that we could bring from a social perspective. Basically, what we do is all about safety. And in this particular case, it's about actually the ability to save lives. We can save a lot of lives. Um, a disproportionate number of people are killed every year due to um, on-road on -road and off-road mobility systems. Um, it's a choice that we humans have made that we, in order to move around, we'll take that risk. Well, we dramatically lower that risk. So that's a, a very, very rewarding place to be um, with something that's you know, such a technology oriented kind of thing that we're doing, but has such a, a profound value proposition um, uh, to, to humans. So we're very excited about that. And that, that's a, a core mission of the company. And, and it brings all our employees together. It, it gives us um, a real, real tangible sense of purpose. Absolutely. 
Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that this has been in development for, I'd say, a good five or more years. Um, well, actually not. So, no. No. So uh, we, the our Air Force project that I spoke to you about, where we came up with some of these original high-speed thermal imaging problems that the Air Force had presented us with, which um, was a mobility problem. So it was a high-speed thermal imaging problem. Yes, that is, um, you know, about five years old. But by the time we decided to apply it to automotive mobility and off-road mobility, um, we actually um, incorporated the company about uh, roughly three years ago. And uh, we brought our first engineering teams on board roughly two and a half years ago. So our rate, so we've been developing this for about two and a half years with about six months prior to that, you know, conceptual ideas around what to develop and, you know, more architectural work. Um, our rate of change has been tremendous. Um, uh, there's, you know, as, as like any, any smaller size uh, company, we do take some outside investment and there are investors that are quite flabbergasted by what we're able to demonstrate in such a short period of time. So our rate of change has been tremendous. Now, part of that comes from the fact that we've been building sensor systems for other, you know, for 30 years. So we didn't come at this from a dead stop from that perspective. This was a retargeting of known applications for a unique new problem, but taking the knowledge from other problems that we had solved before. Now, the rate of change on the computer vision um, has been very, very dramatic as well. So from the 2D capability to the 3D capability. And quite frankly, that's been um, amazing, uh, the rate of change. Um, but there's, um, but in, as I mentioned earlier, it's an, it's an artificial intelligent system, an AI system. And therefore, you train it or teach it. And therefore, you can always be training it and you teach it. So that never-ending mission. Uh, so as long as the product resides in field, um, you will continue to train it, enhance it, and that's how AI works. It never, it's never done. Now, it logically, it makes sense that you would apply uh, the application in the transportation industry is logical in my mind. If you, when you look down the road in the future, let's say ten years out, do you see what do you see? Uh, I can't identify it, but have you identified places where uh, you can expand out using this technology? Sure, absolutely. So um, um, our, our decision to optimize our applications for, for mobility systems and basically terrestrial mobility systems, so things on, on the ground, um, was a conscious business decision um, coupled with the with the technology capabilities, but it was a business decision. Um, uh, so unequivocally, this technology is completely uh, ap applicable to any kind of drone or UAV type application. Yes, and that's there's no doubt that the technology um, applies in those spaces. It's just a different problem with a different set of requirements and needs and a different set of optimization. So. I will go through a whole series of, mar uh, of applications that fall into that category. It's just if you want to optimize for the end user, you have to kind of pick a pony. So we have drones, 
Um, I think all of you are quite well aware that in most American cities and suburbs, when you come to a stoplight, if you look up, there'll be a series of cameras. Yes. That, um, and they seem to be everywhere. Um, those cameras fall under a, an umbrella called smart cities, where um, video data is captured in order for city managers to make intelligent decisions about infrastructure um, and safety um, and expenditures of, of infrastructure dollars and so forth. How can we make intersections safer? How can we create better traffic flow, et cetera, et cetera. The laundry list of, of applications for smart cities is quite long. Our technology is completely applicable um, in those applications. Any place that there's a camera today, a visual camera, you could replace it with a, you could augment it with a 3D thermal camera. Not necessarily, yes. would you necessarily have to replace it, though you could, you can just augment it with a greater perception. So smart yes. cities are a great action. Now, another really interesting uh, future emerging market, especially for those of you who like to watch CNBC, is, uh, <laughs> is machine vision. Um, oh. So machine vision is, um, the, um, and I'm not an expert in machine vision, but it's the concept of taking a, um, some kind of industrial application that's repetitive, um, and where a human had to make a decision as to how to, um, uh, how to interact, uh, with the system, or you had a robot interacting with the system. So any place you had a human or a robot interacting with something that was repetitive, you can enhance that process with something called machine vision. So it's a computer vision system using artificial intelligence that refines the operation. Right. Um, so right. The, 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 the camera monitors the task and, and looks for optimization. And then that optimization is almost real time. Um, as it learns the task, it begins to emulate it at, at either higher speed or more efficiency. So, so machine vision application going to be a, or a huge application for cameras today, a huge application for cameras with artificial intelligence. And it also makes sense for um, solar or you don't necessarily want to spend lots and lots of money on high powered lighting and burn electricity if there's no people in the buildings. If right. the system run by robots, do they really need lights? Well, they do need <laughs> lights today because the cameras can't see in the dark. Lighting <laughs> the system so another um, so a camera can see it. Well, you can use a thermal camera, and you don't need that light. You don't have to spend that energy. So uh, yet another application. Yeah. And then there's general markets for thermal cameras today where they're already being used in 2D. So search and rescue, firefighting, maritime. Thermal yes. cameras are, are, are pervasive um, um, machines that are being used across lots and lots of applications and have been for a long, long time. We're just yes. expanding the definition from a 2D capability to a 3D capability. Exactly. Recently, I had the opportunity to experience the drone technology with a camera. And I had the, had the opportunity to experience how a camera is interpreting that data, where it's the size and the length and breadth of the pixel and how that can be um, uh, manipulated, if you will, so that you have a more realistic uh, view of the object under uh, observation. So uh, we could be pixels together 
right now, uh, <laughs> but in the future, it will really look like we are in the same room side by side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting technology. Thank you for sharing this. You know, um, the- let, me, let me add one more, one more point. Um, if we just look a little historically at, at artificial intelligence, which, by the way, was actually mathematically developed in the 1940s. Yes. Okay, so the concept of AI dates back to the 1940s. Um, and the basic original um, mathematical equations, um, which have been embellished since then, but the, the basic premise uh, was, was, was developed at that time. Um, the problem was that artificial intelligence uses a, you know, a, a form of mathematics um, that requires lots and lots of calculations. So in the 1940s, there weren't any computers that could actually run the repetitiveness of the calculation. And it, then in, in the 70s, they tried to bring it back. And lo and behold, the computer systems still weren't good enough. And then um, roughly um, 10 years ago, maybe the, the we compute system. So supercomputers that are available to the masses. And with that, we could actually run these mathematical algorithms and we could create the repetitiveness to generate result. So artificial intelligence became potentially real. And we first saw that with kind of voice recognition systems and text recognition systems, handwriting, you know, things of that nature. Um, so they were a little less compute intensive um, because they were really 2D types of um, data sets that were feeding it. So two things of the thing, the big advances that have occurred in the last 15 years is number one is that we've now gone to compute systems that we can distribute into systems, not in supercomputers or cloud computers anymore, but yes. actually into something you can hold in your hand. That yes. Powerful enough to run this mathematics and the repetitiveness of it. So that's what the industry refers to as IoT, but this is right. IoT compute that can support AI. Um, so that's a huge um, um, pivot or, 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 or um, you know, point at a tipping point. Further, we now have enough compute that we can move away from, we can move away from, you know, just um, natural language processing to things like imaging. And the problem with imaging is that it produces very, very large data sets. Yes. There's lots of pixels generated in a single frame. One picture has a lot of data. And we now yes. have AI that can tell you that they can look at pictures and tell you cats and dogs. and But that's one picture. But now when we go to video, we take that same picture tens of thousands of times. And now to produce, we finally do the reset. But this is the new hot thing. Does the computer we vision we computers? Yes. Thank you. Very insightful. I appreciate it. 
Christopher. Well, as we uh, as we move toward the end of this particular podcast, we are yet to have talked dollars and cents for our investors. Chuck, why don't you go over uh, what your ask is and how you're structured and give us a little idea of what you're after here. Sure. So as I said, we've um, the company is three years old since um, since incorporation, two and a half years old uh, since we actually started, you know, made our first payroll. Um, we've taken a, um, a, couple, a few millions of dollars in the form of convertibles uh, as a seed round. And we're now in, we are now wrapping up a series A round of financing for the company. Uh, it's a $15 million round. Um, we have uh, a number of investors that have lined up, including uh, the investors that participated in the first uh, th- uh, $4 million that we took in seed. Uh, so they'll be participating, uh, but there's a there's a bit of room left uh, for uh, new investors to come in, and as I said, we have a couple new investors that are coming in, but there's still some room. So we are looking to close up that Series A round uh, this quarter, uh, very very shortly, and uh, and be able to move on. Uh, is development and testing and actually deployment uh, of our solutions. And that's where that's where the majority of the you money will go. Um, majority of money will, um, yes. Yeah, so it'll go to what I call pre-production systems. So we have pilot systems today that demonstrate that the technology works and they are deployable and testable. We need to move to a production-grade system or pre-production system. So a system that represents um, the product that will be sold and. Um, we have most of the funds to do that, but certainly um, the new Series A will help to uh, to complete that. And then the um, and then we need to instantiate a uh, go to market uh, infrastructure within the company. So we've kept our sales channel per se uh, very very small and economical to this point because we were heads down focused on making sure our pilots work properly and we could test them and validate what we were doing. Now that we've reached that point, it's time to take our products on our capabilities to a wider audience uh, within the customer base. And that's a big use of the funds. Okay. And in your series A, are all those also uh, convertible notes or, or uh, is it negotiable? Um, no, uh, we will be doing the series A as a preferred equity round. So the convertible, the previous convertible notes will roll into the 15 million and we will raise an additional 11, 11 million of capital cash on top of the four that we have in convertibles and all of that will convert into a preferred Series A, preferred okay. stock. Very good. And you plan to wrap that up uh, by the end of this quarter. Is that uh, what you mentioned? Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right. Ellen, do you have any other questions you'd like to ask? No, I am, I am just uh, uh, impressed with how the technology has developed and what this company owl is doing with it to bring to market and uh i'm just impressed this is great thank you for your time today chuck well thank you um before before we leave let me um just leave with um so today we discussed um visual and video based technologies um but yes them is far more impressive than whatever i could say or whatever we could discuss so for those of you who are listening or watching, 
Um, one, you can go to our website and see a short uh, couple-minute video that shows um, our systems uh, with a robot, and you can see the imaging and so forth. That's at uh, www.owlai.us. Uh, you can see some videos there. But if you really want to see what we're doing, we do have a YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube and, and query our autonomous imaging YouTube. So we visualize the technology. Keep in mind that the technology, but we so you so we um, so I do imaging YouTube channel. Um, it's on Twitter as well, so you can follow us along there. Terrific. Yeah, very good. In fact, you're right. It, uh, it needs to be seen uh, to believe. I, I've had uh, the, the, the pleasant opportunity of actually seeing it in action, and it is phenomenal just, just to see how it works. Chuck, uh, besides what you just said, is there anything you'd like to close with uh, from today's podcast? Well, um, first off, I want to thank both of you for this opportunity to be here. To, um, this was uh, uh, and very casual and um, the actual way I uh, really enjoy sharing what we're doing with, uh, with your audience. So really appreciate that. And as I said, um, you know, what we're doing is all about safety. Um, we really want to see this technology come to market, get, be deployed, um, and the ability to save lives, to save lots of lives, is, should be important to all of us. But it's really what drives us every day. So uh, once again, thank you for the opportunity um, to speak with you both. Uh, it's our pleasure, Chuck. And thank you so much for taking your time to uh, give our audience actually a thrill. And I, I know it's going to be of interest to so many people. And, and hopefully to help you wrap up that, uh, that last part of that Series A round. Uh, and folks, uh, appreciate your presence today, always, for Make Your Pitch. I know that you have walked away with some tremendous information that you can use. But uh, as we always say, as we wrap up our podcast is... Be interesting when you make your pitch. Absolutely. And always make your pitch. Thanks for being a part of this particular episode. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, go smash the subscription button and if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch. Make Your Pitch.